I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I have a very special guest today. Patricia Lockwood was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and raised in all the worst cities of the Midwest. She's the author of two poetry collections and the memoir, Priest Daddy. She's a contributing editor at the London Review of Books, and her new novel is called No One Is Talking About This. And the first thing I have to say is that my favorite tweet of hers is from 2013, when she added the Paris Review and said, so is Paris any good or not? Hi. <laughs> Hi, thank you. That was quite a mouthful. Yes, and I have been told that it is the dream of your life for me to ask you. Yes. Is is Maris any good or not? I mean, hell yeah. It would never even occur to me to ask because the answer is so obvious. It's <laughs> so clear that Maris is good that it wouldn't even occur to me. Paris, though, I've heard that it reeks. Um, <laughs> sometimes the rap is not great. There was that parkour thing where everyone was jumping off the side of buildings for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although that seems kind of fun. And we really talked about it for a while. It was one of those like meme things that had a much longer shelf life than anything that's happening now. Parkour lasted like a year and a half, two years. I mean, and you'd think people would be more into it now because like we're just yeah. kind of bouncing off buildings. <laughs> that is exactly what we're actually doing in this new <laughs> life. We live in the city of the mind, playing parkour in the city of the mind. That's right. Oh yes. Yeah, so I've I've fulfilled my uh, podcast duty by asking that question. Maybe one day I'll delete it and just replace it with uh, the, the variant. I'm going to call it the variant. The tweet variant is Maris any good or not. Oh. You know, there is an interesting thing about this tweet, uh, which is like it is induced a sort of mass delusion surrounding it, uh, sort of in the same way that people have surrounding like famous lines in Casablanca and things like that. Like he is looking right. at you, kid, and they never actually said them. So a lot of people actually think that the tweet is so how's Paris? 
I would fucking never. That would not be how I would phrase it. It's got to be clumsy. It's got to be clunky and have that nod at the end. I'm a 90s kid. And no punctuation, of course. Like that. Absolutely no punctuation except for the dot at the beginning that allows the Paris Review to see it. Hey, it's Maris. Great children's books open up a new world for discovery. With Literati Kids, your child can explore uncharted places every month with spellbinding stories handpicked by experts. Literati Kids is a try-before-you-buy subscription book club. Each month, Literati delivers five vibrantly illustrated children's books, bringing the immersive magic of reading to your home. Literati's age-based book clubs ensure appropriate readings to your budding bookworm, whether they're snuggling with you for your story time or letting their imaginations roam free. Each book bundle is thoughtfully tailored by education experts with five stories meant to spark new interest and nurture a healthy curiosity. Head to literati.com slash Maris for 25% off your first two orders. Select your child's book club and start them on a literary journey like no other. Literati.com slash Maris, M-A-R-I-S, is the only place to find 25% off your first two orders of this one-of-a-kind book subscription, the most joyful way to foster a lifelong love of reading and learning. That's literati dot com slash Maris. Trisha, tell me about writing a book for people with our kinds of brains who like know how to compose this snarky but silly tweet to the Paris Review. I, I read that you your editor is not very online. Mm, so tell me online. about like downloading all of that into his brain. He's literally William T. Volman's editor also, the dude is not online. He's like, yeah, I'll give Bill some notes and I'll give him some cuts. And then he'll come back to me with a draft that's 200 pages longer. So what we're talking about is latitude. I get latitude from this man because he's like, well, it's not Bill Volman. She's not gonna come back at me with uh, 100, 200 more pages. You know, she's probably gonna listen to what I say. But to answer your percipient question how big does your brain feel both the size of a galaxy and the size of one of the peas that gets put in the guacamole exactly oh that was so good that was so perfect you nailed it and there's like some i don't military helicopter flying above us surveilling us at this moment in time yeah that's what i would say mine is like a grain of sand and it's also the enormous lens that god is using to fry us through so i did my own metaphor and it was a little bit different but i think that it was uh, equally as good yeah it feels very very tiny very, very big. And I like to write about really tiny and big things at the same time. I like to give people a very vertiginous whiplash and looking from the small thing to the big thing. That's always sort of been my style. It's been my mode. It's been my beat. It's what I like to do. But yeah, I mean, writing a book about the internet. Wow. That's a tall order, isn't it? And it's funny too, because Lauren's book came out, I think just yeah. two weeks before mine. And it's really interesting because the whole idea is like, well, when there's one book about the internet, there's gotta be two. And that's where we come in. It's very funny because obviously the books are quite different. And to, to look at them on this comparative plane, I think is kind of insane. It has been like a little bit hilarious to watch in action. How has that been for you as a book reviewer to see a book evaluator? <laughs> it's it's really interesting because 
well, you have that a, a little fragment in in the book about did you see the piece? Yeah, the piece, and and there are, there are so many pieces about what it means for you and for Lauren to be writing about the internet. Oh my God, can you believe it? What, what is going on? Um, and and I like that your narrator in the novel is considering this question too. Like, yeah, can you do it like Jane Austen. Yes, very much like Jane Austen. And she's also considering the fragment. She is asking why we're all writing like this now. And a lot of people have asked me about the form. And it's like, I mean, I think you have to write it in fragments. You have to use the language and the structure and the form of the portal so that it feels like people are slipping through those little panes of glass, like these little rectangles like we're doing. And you can just keep doing it eternally is how it feels. I don't think that you can do that in a block of text that also includes, you know, these, these moments where she gets up and like goes to the refrigerator. It's not <laughs> going to happen. You're going to have to rely on the reader a little bit to make the connections. But I also for a long time, you know, made jokes about autofiction in it. And I haven't really been asked about autofiction that much at all. It's like people forgot the word when they started talking to me and they're like, so this book is very semi autobiographical <laughs> and I'm like there's a new word for this that everyone's obsessed with why not use that well so this brings me to I, I wrote down a tweet that you did yesterday yeah and I'm gonna read it to you now and make I'm it glad up. that you wrote it down because I probably don't remember it to be honest <laughs> you wrote one feature of new writing and I think what some people fear is that a fourth wall has been broken we know more about writers about the circumstances around their, surrounding their books people's diaries do stream around us the real does bleed into everything yeah that's that sounds like more than autofiction yeah, yeah, it totally does. I mean, you can go back. I've said uh, in a couple other interviews, I'm like, you can go back to, you know, the the day or the day before my niece died and you can see me tweet the line dissociating in a first watch because I was there. That is what was happening. No one knew the circumstances surrounding it, but that is what was going on. Uh, but I like that complication. Um, I like all of those things bleeding in. I like people knowing certain things about me that they might attribute to the protagonist. Uh, I, I like working in dangerous forms and I always have. So it's not, that sort of thing is not an issue for me. And I also like as I've again expressed in other interviews, I don't really care that much about genre. So it's not a thing where I feel so protective of my work that people can't attribute autobiographical elements to it. And maybe it's because I'm fucking old at this point. You know, I'm not like 23 years old, straight out of college, writing about my murder crew that's learning Latin <laughs> under the, you know, aegis of a dangerous teacher. And there's some guy in, in white flannels, you know, having bacchanalias with me in the woods. It's not like that. that. I, I know, right? I, I should have written that book. I would have if I had gone to college. I would have done those things if I had gone to college. But as it is, I had to wait until I was like 38 years old, right? And be like, yeah, I'm going to put everything in this. I'm going to do whatever <laughs> I want. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had a few authors on, on this show who um, also write about themselves. Quote, mm, unquote. unquote. Quote, unquote. Jeez. And then it's then it becomes this weird conversational tick thing where mm -hmm. I have to say, like, when you said that, 
Yeah. Or like when you're a protagonist. I know, which is a mouthful. You. It's like a mouthful of tinker toys, right? Yeah. But most people have been really good about it. They're like the narrator. That was cool <laughs> because I was like, I actually forgot that word. I could have been using that word the whole time. I've been saying protagonist, which is very clumsy. Narrator. That's perfect. Yeah, most people, most people have held to that. And I've been the one who is like, oh, that's true. that happened to me I lied about this though and I brought this in here and I switched this around because I I'm very open it hopefully is one of my more charming qualities but if you ask me a question about it I'll be like yeah that's true as hell no that's fake fiction you can do anything (laughs) I mean and and yeah this is of course your first fictional work that you've put out into the world i love it i love that hesitation and my next one is going to be middle march and there's not going to be <laughs> a single crumb of my own experience it's going to take place in a village and it's going to uh, assume the eagle's eye view and the eagle is going to fly into everyone's minds at once and mm. it's going to be perfect it, it will be the work of the age i cannot wait and i know you could do it yeah it sounds right no i could not maris <laughs> could not do that that's why I wrote my novel in fragments (laughs) um I mean I do think when when I was thinking about reading in fragments and we were talking about this before I press record it it is harder for many people to read during COVID yeah and your your narrator uh asks you know are we only able to think in fragments now and it seems more and more and more like that's the case. I think it probably does do something to the attention span. I think that that's probably correct. I know that I do better with my writing when I don't look at it first thing in the morning. I know that I do better when I don't have, say, like an essay dropping that day and have to be very vigilant about what people are saying about me and my beautiful work online. Like, (laughs) oh my God, matter of life and death. Um, I do a lot better when my attention is not absorbed by those things. And I think that there's something just very, very enormous it's like this this you know this this globe or this black sun has descended through people's ceilings and it's taking up a lot of their attention it's the thing that they're looking at but yeah so I had COVID in March and I was like well can I not read because I'm locked in my house all the time or because I had COVID and I'm like well I think it's got to be COVID because I've always been locked in my house and I never (laughs) go outside to play parkour which is the thing that healthy people do Oh my goodness. And and so tell me a little bit about COVID and and how you're doing now. Yeah, I'm doing a lot better. I did have a relapse at the beginning of my promotional cycle, which I should have seen coming. Uh, I had to do a photo shoot for The Guardian where I had to crouch outside in the bushes for like two hours in 30 degree weather. And I got home and I could not stop shaking for two hours. And I was like, oh crap, I shouldn't have done that. But that's the only safe way to do it. You know, I had to not be wearing a mask. I had to be crouching in these bushes in this 30 degree weather. And I got home and I was like, I don't feel very good. Um, Yeah. And you just sort of like crawl into a hot bath for two hours or I would if I could still take baths I can't because I've developed this crazy heart issue and if I take a bath my heart rate goes like to 160 or something so all of these avenues of relaxation are currently closed to me so yeah you can say uh in the aftermath of COVID I have become more psychic I have (laughs) developed witch hands I can no longer take a hot bath. Uh, This is what I tell my doctor and I wonder why I can't get any help, right? I'm like, these are the symptoms, pay attention. (laughs) 
Um, but you did a, another tweet that you very recently did was you do um, have your weighted blanket. That's your. Oh my God. And I decided I was like, anxiety. What if I tried this? And it was true that after I had COVID, um, I felt great for a couple weeks. I was almost euphoric. Uh, I had a lot of neurological symptoms while I was in the active phase of the illness and things seemed very hyper real. I was sort of semi-delirious and actually delirious at times. And uh, yeah, we talked about it. Like if I watched a movie or something, it was like I was walking among the people. I suddenly had this tremendously inflated sense of the fictional sense of the narrative, mm. which I had never had before. Hence my novel in fragments. But suddenly <laughs> I had this and I was like, oh, I understand how stories work. You go to the next room and you do something in there. That is how a story works. Um, so all this was happening during the active phase, but after it was over, I was like, oh, thank God I made it. I'm absolutely normal. And I had a period of a couple weeks of absolute total euphoria, which probably looking back was also, you didn't want to be having that. You didn't want to be euphoric after your COVID. And then I developed the craziness. Um, and I decided that my floorboards were squeaking too much and they were going to fall through, et cetera, et cetera. So what happened is basically that like any sort of latent mental illness type thing, like for me, it was OCD just came back like tenfold really crazily. And it didn't seem like there was anything I could do about it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get this fucking blanket that's as heavy as an elephant and I'm going to pull it up over me in the night and see what that does. And I cannot tell, I did tweet about it. I'm like, I cannot tell whether I am relaxing or whether I am just fighting the blanket so hard in the middle of the night that I am exhausted and at some point just drop off to sleep. So it could go either way. Have you used one? Yes, and I, and I do feel very similarly, like it doesn't, yeah automatically feel like a hug no I mean a hug from a bear yeah but like is it helping us I have no idea and then my husband really hates it because it's basically like a chastity belt yeah if you put it over yourself they can't get to you mm -hmm. and they hate it so much he's like well good night I guess <laughs> yeah that that's tough it's very tough to be locked in my in my chastity blanket <laughs> at night uh, fighting the bear yeah so so I was very lucky to have gotten a galley of this book you were very lucky you yes I was that, that's the end that's very it. lucky Maris yes um that was just a brag a galley yep. brag hashtag um <laughs> But I got to read it without knowing where you were going to take me. Yes. And now I think, I mean, I've just seen the stuff that's already been written about the book. Yeah. Uh, readers have more of an idea of what they're in for. Yes, that is correct. And I think that I was okay with that because a big chunk of the second half ran in The New Yorker. So I was like, well cat's sort of out of the bag there so it's <laughs> fine but it was also true that when we were writing my um the book flap copy uh it originally did mention the sort of turn that the the second part of the book took and I was like well what if we just took that out I mean it seems like we could do that but there's also something to be said for readers having more information you know some people of course will find the material uh distressing and you want to be aware of that too while at the same time realizing that it's not really your job 
as an author to be like trigger warning for every single thing that happens in my book. You can leave that to some of the other readers. So I think that there is a balance, but yeah, it's, it's, it's okay with me because uh, some of the material was out there already, but I do wonder, I mean, there are going to be people who read it without knowing much going in. How did that feel for you? Did you feel blindsided by it? I mean, yes, but in a really excellent way. Yeah. You sort of, people have asked me about the form, you know, why I made this choice. And again, having talked about it in such semi-autobiographical mm-hmm. terms, I was like, it, it was necessary to do it this way because this is how a situation like this erupts into your real life. You experience it as an absolute break. You look up from scrolling and, and you know, you, you see this situation. You see members of your family. You see uh, a brand new human life. And it had to be preserved in that way, I think. And then the impulse, though, is still there to think, like, what can I post about this? Yeah, absolutely. And in in my real life situation, I didn't post much at all because, you know, my niece was not my daughter. And uh, you want to be respectful. And it's been interesting because there was a, a piece that recently ran in the New York Times book section about it where they did interview my sister. And part of that was because we had this very emotional interview where I think both of us felt that we were being very inarticulate, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm not speaking about this well. And she's like, I'm sorry that I'm not speaking about this well. And so I thought, well, what if we just sort of broke down this barrier and talked more about the real thing, talked more about what really happened. And I said, I think that part of the difficulty I'm experiencing is that at some point, if we were in person, if we were together, I would show you her picture on my phone. And so I just went ahead and did that. And so we kind of took the interview onto a different plane. Uh, and I told her that she could contact my sister after asking my sister for, for um, permission first. But what I didn't think about was the fact that when it comes to my real sister, when it came to my real niece, uh, it was always true that, that my sister took her into the world, that it was a, a huge part of the project of her life, right. of, of allowing you know, the stimulus of the world to pour into her, that she took her outside, that she made sure that, that, that she could see and touch everything. And that would have been a lot harder for me just logistically. It would have been hard for me to get out of the house with a bunch of machines, oxygen tanks, things like that. Uh, and so she was so happy to talk to her. Um, she was yeah she I think that she in a way wants to talk about her all the time you know she doesn't want people to forget so it was very lovely that we were able to do that Um, and it but it does it it calls up the fact that you are different that if it had happened to me I don't know what I would have done but there is that instinct there's this impulse can I put this in the portal both the beautiful aspect of it the the picture of the child and also draw attention to it like I cannot believe there are these laws standing in the way I cannot believe that my sister's life is in danger because she lives in fucking Ohio all of these other things you want to bring attention to your mind first looks it first turns to the portal yeah um and I guess for for listeners who haven't read anything about you yet uh the portal is just be wider internet it's the fucking internet bitch and it's twitter too it's the the internet bitch (laughs) but also i saw that new york times piece and i saw 
the photo on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And she said that to me, she was like, thank you for sending me this. And it occurred to me that the photographer, when she comes to take a picture of you could take a picture of your phone. She could do that. And I asked my sister and I said, I think that that would be really beautiful. Yeah. And again, it is because I'm not trying to preserve a turn, you know, this is not like house of leaves or the moonstone or something like that you know this is this is a book where it's we're sort of hinting about the fact that the second half is about a very urgent human situation right uh but yeah that was that was her idea and i thought that that was really beautiful and it felt very collaborative um it felt like like we were getting finally to have that real conversation that we had been very much longing to have yeah and i mean i love the details in the book about the stimuli that the baby enjoyed. Right, right. Because you are looking, and in our personal situation, the doctors were very brutal in what they told us about my niece. It was basically, she won't react to anything. She won't be able to learn anything. She won't be able to recognize her name. She won't be able to feed herself. She won't know who you are. They said things like that, the most brutal possible things that they can tell you. And it's at that point that you really do wonder, you know, what, what is a human being? Like what constitutes a human soul, a human life? Like what rises to that level? And in reality, you know, she opened up like a flower. She was able to do all of these things that we had no idea that she was going to be able to do. And it was just so incredibly beautiful to watch. And you wanted to be absolutely tuned to that. You didn't want to be looking at anything else. You didn't want to be thinking about anything else. You only wanted to pour the things of the world into her portals. You know, you could do that. She could hear. We didn't know that that was going to be true, but she could hear. And she responded absolutely to music. If you sang to her, she would say, sing notes back to you and it was absolutely it wasn't just a a holy experience but it was very interesting and I had written a little bit in the book in the first part and starting on the second part that you know at the same time that everything that was happening over the past four years and much farther back of course felt so urgent there was a part of you that just wanted to run up to the rooftop and watch the fireworks and say this is incredibly interesting and this is because you're a human being you know and you are witnessing the world you're witnessing your own time no matter what's happening in it and there was something like that that was true of the baby as well you understood that it was absolutely urgent that it was even dire and a part of you was was watching the lights and enjoying 98 degrees <laughs> yes i know and i i really there has always been a part of me that doesn't want to bring 98 degrees into my work you know doesn't want to <laughs> mention these frivolous details doesn't want to turn on the radio and listen to the songs of the day but it felt so important to do that it's so grounding to do that mm-hmm. and it's so human and it ties us to our time uh, a time that you don't always want to belong to and then you just have that moment you know where you're standing stock still at the center of the turning world and 98 degrees is playing. I often hear of modern writers saying, oh, I don't want to write about the internet because I want my work to be timeless. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but what if you have captured just an exact moment in time? Right. 
Right. And that's, that's what I came to. And I forced myself to do it. I forced myself to write about the internet because I am the biggest bitch of all that kind of person. I am absolutely the one who's like, I'm Sappho and they're going to be reconstructing <laughs> my fragments in 5,000 years. I have always been that way. I hate it about myself. And so I have to sit myself down and be like, bitch, you are going to talk about McDonald's. You are going to, you know, mention the Folgers incest commercial. You are going to sit down and pay attention to your time because you are alive now yes you know you may not have had a choice over when you were born you might not have chosen this time but this is what you get you better fucking look around so yeah that's <laughs> if the book does seem actually aggressive in its observations of those things at times that's why it's, it's me that is my own aggression turned on myself saying look look at this tell me about quote unquote the internet novel and what makes it so <sighs> Baby girl, that is <laughs> such a big one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there have actually been that many of them. Um, and, you know, like people like Darcy Wilder have written about the internet uh, wonderfully. I think uh, uh, Megan Boyle, we've had um, Atessa. A lot of people have brought up my year of rest and relaxation, which is not exactly an internet novel, but for some reason does seem to partake of it, right? It seems to be related. It seems to be associated or to exist. That's so interesting. Yeah. Maybe in the world that gives birth to the current timeline. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's what it is. I think it's the root of, of the current timeline. And that's why people bring that up a lot. Um, but yeah, it's so I had to do something that felt almost as if it could be taking place in the portal, but were not things that you would actually tweet because yeah, some part of me is still like, no, that is a waste. If I tweet that, I am going to put that in my book because I still believe in paper. I still believe in the <laughs> fucking trees, right? So I was having these observations that were almost things you could put online, but were things I was going to put on paper instead. Wow, the discipline. <laughs> I know, it I am so truly disciplined and this is what people always mention when they talk about me. <laughs> Number one thing is my discipline. That's the first. <laughs> Trisha, before we go, um, yes. I'd love to hear about what you have been reading lately that you'd like to recommend. Yes. So I know I read the prep and I was like, wait, I've never read a book in my life. I don't know what a book <laughs> is. And then I was like, no, there's a stack of them over there. I'm just going to turn and read what we have. Okay. So Marshlands. Marshlands is a big one. And this was just reissued by the New York Review of Books. Why am I suddenly unsure of the pronunciation of Andre Gied? I, I, you're, I, I would trust your pronunciation Gied. more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this has happened to me a couple times in interviews where I'm like, I really want to talk to people about Marshlands because it's a book just like this. And basically people are telling the narrator all the time, you should put that into Marshlands. You should put that into the book that you're writing. And I keep stopping myself because I'm like, I fucking don't know how to pronounce this last <laughs> name. And this is going to really out me as a person who doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, I would absolutely recommend that, except that he was a pedophile. So if that, kind of, that if that crosses it off the list, you know, I was like, I love this book so much. And then I had the moment where I went to the Wikipedia entry and I'm like, God damn it, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really good, except for that part. Okay. Then we have um, Desperate Characters, Paula Fox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was reading a lot of background for the Ferrante novels, and that came up, and so did uh, Elsa Morante's book. So I read Arturo's Island, and I found that very interesting. Did you, have you read that? 
Uh, I read Desperate Characters, not the, not the... Okay, so I might recommend Arturo's Island to you, the Elsa Morante book. Uh, <laughs> and just, I, I would like to know what you, what you think about it. So there's that. I have Our Sister Killjoy is over there, which is great. Um, absolutely fantastic. And I have uh, Bina. It's pronounced Bina, right? Yes. Okay, so yeah, that's... And again, that also feels to partake a little bit, right? Maybe it's oh, like absolutely. the form. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, that's kind of my big list of books and then it happened of course halfway through the writing I, I do all the reading and then I then I actually like write the big LRB essays but through the writing I was like suddenly able not to read anymore and I was like really well I'm glad that it lasted that long anyway but at the same time are you fucking kidding me how am I going to write about Faulkner for them now <laughs> you can't write about Faulkner. I mean that seems so hard that but you know I did Nabokov at the like when I was like still a bit sick last year and that was probably that was so difficult and I didn't feel like I was 100% back on form for the Ferrante I felt that I was back on form but the Nabokov that is base that's again a nightmare that's a nightmare that you would encounter in one of his own books and someone has to write the Nabokov essay while they're recovering from this like neurological illness that they've experienced gosh. that's totally new on the planet earth and human beings amazing oh my gosh yeah, yeah. That's pale fire for you. That's pale fire. <laughs> and I looked back and in the initial phase of rereading some of those books, I had coronavirus actively. I looked at my notes and I was like, no fucking wonder this didn't make any sense when I was reading Ben Sinister or whatever. I was like, yeah, that's not something that anyone can do. Um, no wonder we're just walking back and forth across that bridge over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I, I wish you nothing but health and well-being and perfect um, yes i love to be healthy and full of well-being <laughs> and um you know and and internet serotonin yeah i mean not too much because you know you get that syndrome we all got it the day that that trump had coronavirus and we were like oops this is going to kill us with how good we feel but then it didn't kill us would that it had would that it had at that moment and we would have like died in pure ecstasy right <laughs> you've solved all of our problems yeah yeah maybe we did all die then <laughs> it could be it could be it's possible but yes thank you so much for having me thank and you. it's it's been lovely and i think that we have answered the question that you so desperately desired <laughs> me I, to ask mm -hmm. yes thank you thank you for listening to the maris review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts